The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate Leeds, postcode LS53AP. Check out PR Supplies on Facebook for all your home retail needs. Hello, Joe Donahue from the Inside Ellen Road podcast here. Just a quick one before we begin this week's episode. It appears after my introduction, my microphone decided to cut out, unbeknownst to myself and Graham. Uh, so if you'll bear with us, there might be a slight drop in the audio quality from my end this week. Apologies, we'll make sure that's fixed for next week. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the Inside Ellen Road podcast, your home of Leeds United views, news, opinion and analysis from the team at the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Joe Donoghue and I'm joined as per usual by YEP Chief Football Writer Graeme Smith. We've had Norwich, Stoke and Huddersfield since our last recording. Two wins, one defeat, six points from nine. On the whole, a decent enough set of results, uh, which puts Leeds third in the table with 25 points from 14 games. I think we're, we're getting to the stage of the season where the standings start to even themselves out a bit, where teams are is, is usually quite reflective of where they end up at the end of the campaign. Um, with Leeds in third, would you say that that's, that's something you've observed as well, Graham? Yes. Ah, good. You're in a talkative mood today. Excellent. Um, <laughs> should we discuss Leeds being the best, third best team in the division then? Because I think that's, that's the first thing in my uh, sort of show notes here. Um, and... That was kind of a, a little segue for me in, in the introduction that Leeds being third, 25 points, um, you know, almost averaging two per, uh, two per game is it, the, the, the signs are positive. They're very, very, um, they're very, they're very good this season. They've been consistent, especially at home, um, you know, maybe not so much away, away from Ellen Road, but still, I think it's fair to say that Leeds are the third best team in the division, which come the end of the campaign, is not what listeners of this podcast want to be hearing. No. And I think, you know, it's always the case that if you have the third most points uh, in the table, then you'll, you know, you'll set third, won't you? Um, I uh, I predicted, didn't I, that I, that I thought they'd finish automatic promotion uh, candidates. Um, I still don't think that's out of the question. I just don't think it's possibly as likely as it was when I first said it. And that's simply because Leicester have set off like a fox with a, with a tail on fire and, um, and the tractor boys are absolutely motoring, aren't they? I mean, they are mm. plying a furrow that we didn't perhaps expect them to ply. I mean, you talk about that kind of promotion bounce that they've got, but this is something a bit more, I think something a bit more substantial, um, and whether or not they drop off, I think they'll still be up there. You know, I, I can't. It would be a catastrophic failure, wouldn't it, from from this point for Ipswich to to not at least be in the playoff picture come the end of the season. Um, I think they're going to be, you know, up right up there. They're playing good football. They're, they're getting great results. They're being a little bit relentless. Um, they've played a game less, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. They had their, their Rotherham game called off. Yeah, and they're only and they're only what four points behind uh, Ipswich. I mean Leicester. So um, their start is probably equally as impressive as uh, as Leicester's because they were in League One last season, and a lot of these players played for them in League One. But 
leads are tucked in quite nicely. You know, if, if you think of this as a, I don't know, I feel like you're not doing it justice by calling it an 800 meter or a 1500 meter race, but they are that that runner that everyone expected to be in the final reckoning, and they're tucked in pacing quite nicely. They haven't shot off and to lead it like Leicester, but they're not that well. They're 14 points behind, so they are they are quite a way back. But they're leading the rest of the pack, aren't they? And you're ex- still expecting them to make a move or, or to gradually close that distance. Um, I just think everyone's been taken by surprise by how phenomenal the top two have been. Um, but I still think you can say that Leeds have been impressive. You know, they, they've they had to come out of a really difficult start to the season. You know, Farker warned us it was going to be bumpy and it's been, it was uh, turbulent to say the least with all those players leaving and particularly the ones that Leeds had targeted to stay. Um, players they lost having really hoped that they would be able to base a team around them. Um, And yet, here they are, third, and they're playing some really good football at times. They just haven't quite nailed consistency yet. And I think that would be the the one real area of improvement, I think, would be being more brutal, more clinical. Um, That's maybe the one of the only things that's missing at this point. But I think I think they've been good. You know, I think they've, as as an attacking force, they've been really impressive at times. And uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of wins this season, a lot of goals, and I think they'll be right up there. Absolutely. Leeds are on course at the moment to, to record 23 wins this season. They've won seven from 14, which, I mean, 23 wins. Um, I don't know what to do with myself. You know, there's only so many ways you can say that Leeds have won a game of football, especially after the last two seasons when we were sort of starved with six or seven or eight in a season. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to, um, Leeds' recent victories, the ones against Norwich and, and Huddersfield. Um, but just staying with the, the topic of Leicester and Ipswich, because this weekend obviously brings the test of, of Leicester, probably the biggest game that Leeds have had this season so far. And we haven't really discussed it on this, uh, on the Inside Island Road pod, um, this season, just how remarkable the start that both teams have had, you know, Leicester's is a, is a championship record. Uh, I think it's 13, is it 13 wins and one defeat from 14 games? Which is ridiculous. Is. Um, and then I think Ipswich's record is 11 wins, one draw, one defeat. Uh, that one defeat obviously coming at Portman Road when Leeds visited there. Um, and for, for anybody who isn't clued up on just how staggering those starts have been, uh, and I'm not looking for excuses as, as to why Leeds aren't in the top two, because 25 points from 14 games in most previous seasons is, is enough to have you in there. Um, that's that's the that's the whole point of this. Um, you know, I think I, I was speaking to my, my friend, a Leeds fan, Adam. Uh, he was adamant. See what I did there? Um, that Ipswich's run will come to an end. You know, they've in all competitions. I think they've lost once in the last twenty six home games. Um, they've won. You know, never mind. You know, drawing twelve or drawing thirteen and, and being unbeaten or whatever. They've won twenty five of the last thirty home games. Um, across all competitions um, uh, in the league, sort of across League League One and, and the Championship, which is just a, a staggering record. And I was looking at the um, their, their results this season. Most most games at Portman Road, they've scored at least three, um, which is just remarkable. So I think the hope from a lot of Leeds fans um, will be that they do end up dropping off, that maybe they get a, a 
an injury in, in, in a key position or, or maybe one or two or suspensions. And they maybe just, you know, when, I don't know if you, you have this great, but you know, when you, you sort of pull the, the, the bottom rack or the top rack, yeah, the bottom rack of the dishwasher out and it sort of goes off its little, goes off its little, um, its little tray, uh, track. I don't know. What, what would you call that? And it's sort of roller. The, it's on like, it's on like roller. It's roller. It? Yeah. It comes off its roller ever so slightly. I think Leeds fans are kind of hoping for that. Um, a dishwasher moment, shall we say, for Ipswich. Leicester, I think, are a different kettle of fish because they retained a core of Premier League players. I think they recruited quite well um, over the summer as well. So they've they've probably, I mean, apart from the, the obvious players like Harvey Barnes and James Madison, they've probably got just as strong, if not, you know, a, a slightly, slightly weaker squad than they had last season. Um, and who's to say that Enzo Moresca, the manager, isn't a better coach than what they had? So there's, I mean, I think if Leeds go to Leicester this weekend and get something, given how strongly they've started, anything but a Leicester win, I think that's another indicator to the rest of the league that, as you say, Leeds are sort of leading the peloton. They are leading the chasing pack and, and they're very much in the, in the race, even if they are um, behind the early pace setters. I'm just stunned that you know Adam Ant, and you've never mentioned this before. Um, I'm not. I'm not friends with Adam Ant. No, but uh, yeah. Sorry. Go on. Go on. Don't let me. <laughs> I, I'm actually amazed that you you thought that I would know who Adam Ant is. I do know who he, who he is, but isn't he from your generation rather than mine? I do like to give you some credit now and again. Um, he giveth and he taketh away. Uh, I, I think anything, anything but a Leeds win on Friday night, and you can almost, almost forget about Leicester this season and just focus on winning as many points as humanly possible and, and putting the pressure on Ipswich. Um, I think if Leeds beat Leicester, it is a huge, huge boost for Leeds. It is a bit of a shot in the arm for the rest of the division, and it just might, just might, introduce a little bit of a wobble uh, at... Um, at Leicester, but it won't take away anything at all from how phenomenal they've been and, and how relentless they've been. Um, and it, I don't know, it's just quite, it, it's a surprise, isn't it, that it's worked out the way it has. I mean, Leicester went with, um, it, it was a risk in the, in the managerial choice because, yes, his coaching pedigree is obviously phenomenal, but you never know that these things are going to work out perfectly. You never know if the dressing room is going to be right for the manager. You don't know if he's going to get the culture right, the chemistry right. Um, lots of people in football that you think would do really well at management don't. It's a really, really difficult thing to get right. And to get right so quickly, um, you think back to Bielsa. You know, when, when Bielsa took over at Leeds and got them playing that football so quickly and got them winning games so quickly... It was a surprise because that doesn't always happen when you go for a, a a kind of left field or an unusual appointment, maybe an ambitious one, but but again, completely unproven. So um, it has taken everyone by surprise, but it's quite exciting in a way that there's there's teams that are playing so well and and set in such standards because it sets them up, it puts them right up there to be shot at, and and then Leeds go to Leicester this weekend and they are. Definitely not the favourites to win that game. So if they win it, I don't know. It feels like a big thing, doesn't it? Mm, it certainly will be, and, and I'm really, really looking forward to to the um, the game of the King Power. Not just because 
from previous visits, I do seem to recall the, the grub being quite quite nice of a Premier League standard. Look at you nodding vigorously there. You've you've uh, you you can remember sort of the little pick and mix station they have, don't you? Where you can just keep going back as many times as you like to get your, your sweets. Well, I was I was hoping to go uh, a week without sugar, um, but now that you've said that, maybe I'll have to make uh, an exception on Friday night. I, I always like the welcome at Leicester. They're always incredibly welcoming, almost like they're pleased to see you, whereas there are other places where you can go in football. And it and it's strange to say, but it's almost like they're not that fussed about having journalists there, which just <laughs> you know, it comes as a complete and utter surprise to me on every occasion. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be a good game, I think, um, and I think Leeds will create chances. I, I really do, and I think what they've got to look out for, and we can maybe come on to talk about it in, in depth later, but they've got to got to have learned from recent previous disappointments. You know, they've got to learn from games where they've conceded the first goal early. Because I think if you do that against Leicester, I think it'd be very, very difficult to come back. Um, they've got to learn from games where teams pressed them and they didn't perhaps cope with the ball and cope with the pressure as, as well as they could have. And, um, and yeah, let's see how they can go about their business in the final third, because I think they have the ability there to trouble every team in the championship. It'll be good. Yeah, well, um, speaking of the final third, of course, then, um, well, we, we should discuss Crescencio Somerville, we should discuss Jorginho Ruta, um, because um, those two players in particular have been very impressive over the past three games. Um, Norwich, obviously, the, the two goals that Somerville scored, one of, of great technique to, to bend it into the, well, into the far corner via the post, and then um, to the composure to finish under pressure after a really a lung-busting counter-attack. Um, and then, of course, at the weekend against Huddersfield, two goals, two assists in 45 minutes. I mean, we, we were sat there, weren't we, in the press box at half-time, sort of debating, canvassing the uh, the, the rest of the, the, the journalists, saying, is, is it possible? Can we give him a 10? Like, what else could he have done? Um, it, was, it was a real delight to watch a player. You know, even from sort of a journalistic perspective, from a neutral perspective, you know, it was just a delight to watch a player just playing... You know, fantastically well, and and then you know, from a from a selfish perspective, because I do have a soft spot for for Jorginho, seeing him um, retire, twenty four year old Tom Edwards at right back, uh, who was subbed at half time, and I presume has has, has decided that, that football's not for him anymore. Um, that was that was also a, a real spectacle. Um, those two in particular, Graham, I mean, they are they really do hold the key to to Leeds' success this season, don't they? It certainly feels like it right now. Um, and again, there were no guarantees that that either player were going to be here this season, which which I suppose adds another little bit of remarkable magic to it. Because Somerville, the noises we got from the club at the, right at the outset of the summer was that they thought Somerville would probably go, he'd probably want to go, and they'd probably be okay with that, which surprised me at the time. Um, if you think back to when Jesse Marsh was at the club, professionalism was one thing that he kept talking about sometimes almost a little bit unprompted when it came to Cree Somerville and and he held up Willie Nyonto as the example that Cree should follow you know that he that Nyonto was but in in saying that Nyonto was having a good impact on Cree he was essentially saying that Cree needed to have that impact he needed somebody to set that example and and there was that kind of that line he came out with where he talked about the pair of them and he said to Willie, did you see my press conference? He said, yes. 
and uh, and it was like Cree's Ron Burgundy. Ron, are you listening? Nope. Moment. Um, <laughs> because Cree absolutely did not have time to watch Jesse Marsh press conferences. And, um, and now the fullness of time has maybe proven that, you know, there were other things that he could have been doing, that, lots of other things that probably would have benefited him more than watching that press conference. But he did stay. And there were no great noises about him departing which would have been the case had he wanted to go because then his agent would have would have made noise because that's what happens the player wants to go it becomes known that he wants to go and then you start to hear about interest and, and possible destinations there wasn't a lot of that at all with Somerville in fact there was the level of it was such that you thought actually a decision has been made here that he's going to come back and play this season and I think that became came obvious kind of midway through the summer especially in contrast with some other players and the noise that their uh, representatives were making and then you have Ruter who could not really have been blamed for for saying actually my four months at Leeds were quite enough thank you um, I'm out of here um, and yet there was nothing at all that, that and and he had options as well you know there were Bundesliga clubs offering very good money to Leeds for him and um and decision was taken collectively that he would stay at Leeds. And 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 look where we are now. Here we are at the end of October. Ruter is tearing it up, uh, not in goal scoring terms, but in creativity terms. I mean, he's now got, he's now created 14 big chances, which is three shy of Jack Harrison's 17 in the promotion season, which was the best at Leeds for that entire season. To have 14 by October suggests that he could probably, if he stays injury-free, double Harrison's tally or more this season for big chances created because he is... The football he's playing is at a level above the defenders that he's playing it against. And and sadly for Huddersfield, and not so sadly for me because I am a, I'm a poor footballer who plays once a week and I like to see professionals also have a bit of a mare now and again because it, it makes me feel better <laughs> and it made me feel a lot better when I saw a player getting absolutely roasted for pace um, but then I played on Monday night and got roasted for pace and, and you know the balance was restored um, Ruter realised quite early on didn't he in that game that he could play the ball down the line give the defender a head start and still reach it and and that was a that was a difficult moment I think for a right back because that signaled the beginning of the end of of his performance, and and both Ruter and Somerville were we could talk about them individually but collectively they were a problem for Huddersfield as they have been for so many teams so far. They'll continue to be as well because you know you look at the the sort of the metrics that you you measure these players on, so you know you know their their impact in the final third their you know their their expected goals per ninety and progressive carries you know basically just any sort of dribbling stats they they go past players at will they create chances at the end of those dribbles it's it must be an absolute dream to work with them and to to play with them because you know they they are they're, they're output machines this season some of those top scorer with six goals he's got four assists himself ruter has got five assists um and then two goals and you're talking about those big chances created there 14 did you say that it was Leeds have, Leeds have played 14 games. You know, one I mean, imagine he he gets over 30, 30 big chances. That's it's unheard of. Um it would certainly be the most by any player in the championship since they started collecting that data. Um but 
yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how how they match up against probably the best defense in the league against Leicester. You know, they Leicester have been great. They've been great at the King Power, um, and yeah, we'll have to to see just how 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 much further they've come on in sort of the past six months to a year, because they're both young players. Some of them turned 22 this week. Uh, Ruter's still 21, which I told you to your amazement in the the press room on on Saturday. Um, you kind of just looked at me and just sort of mouthed, 21, 21, bloody hell. Um, sounded a bit more like some a character from Phoenix Knights there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're, at this stage of their career, the growth, if they're playing in a successful team, is going to be, you know, exponentially positive. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing the, the acid test, if you will, of them against Leicester. Um, they're they're quite um, they're quite different players, aren't they? I would say that Ruter, there's a bit more. I get a bit more joy from watching Ruter because of all the off the cuff kind of improvisation, the 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 tricks and flicks, and the and the emerging from an area with a you know congested area with a lot of opposition players somehow with the ball, you know, juggling it maybe or, or like he did against. Stoke to create the chance for Bamford, and also some of the the kind of slide rule through balls that he's playing that are Pablo esque, you have to say. And then Somerville, Somerville's a bit more, I think, brutal. You know, Farker's Farker's word is probably the right word. That Somerville gets the ball, he, he runs at a player to back him up, creates the space, and then just shoots. You know, he's he's shooting more than um, anyone else, I think, in the Leeds team. Um, I think it's something like four. I think it's more than four shots per game per ninety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's he's a bit more of that. Oh, see, I don't want I don't want to say the 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 blunt force instrument because he's a lot more than that. He's a lot of skill himself, but he's so direct that it feels like Somerville just wants to get to the goal as soon as possible and shoot. And and he's got the speed and the pace and the, the feet to do that because. He is so much quicker than championship defenders. You know, he is reaching the ball when ordinarily a defender would get there, and that creates panic and it creates space and it creates danger. But then he's just off, get to get to goal as quickly and as directly as possible, and shoot really, really hard into the net, and it's proven incredibly effective. Whereas Ruter is a bit more like enjoying himself along the way, sometimes taking the scenic route or stopping off to nutmeg someone or, or to to roulette enjoying the kind of enjoying the journey to go a bit more and then at the end of it he'll he'll create something um and together they are it, it must be a nightmare for defenses and um, for managers opposition managers it must be really difficult because you can't even say let's keep Ruter in his own half you know let, let's keep them defending so that he's in his own half because he's doing some of his best work in his own half he's setting up goals from within his own half sometimes deep inside his own half with the passes he plays forward or by beating a player and getting away um and he's back there because he's working really really hard for the team that's something you picked out on saturday was how hard he worked somerville's the same their work ethic is fantastic um and their performance in the first half was why I took the line that that had to be enough for you. 
the, those four goals in the first half and those moments they created had to be enough to leave you satisfied. Because if, if Leeds had won 4-1, right, and scored two in the first half, two in the second, you'd have gone away thinking, well, that was absolutely brilliant. You know, four goals. We won 4-1 in the Yorkshire Derby against Huddersfield. Absolutely smoked them. But because the goals came in the first half and the second half was a lot more underwhelming by comparison, I think quite a few people, it surprised me that quite a few people wanted to talk about the second half and, and were not still raving about the first because the first for me was it was close to a, a 10 in terms of a team performance Somerville was really close to a 10 individually had he not missed that chance out in front you know I think it was saved he probably would have been looking at a 10 on the spot um, no no pleasing you is there absolutely no pleasing you but thankfully well no one gets a 10 that's the rule but we were, we're we were discussing it in all seriousness at the half time um yeah, I just, I just think if you come away from a game and your team's won 4-1 and they've played that football, if they've coasted in the second half and the manager's made the changes and, and wrapped his stars in bubble wrap ahead of Leicester, I don't think I don't think there's too much to complain about. No, I, I don't think so either. And I was similar to you. I was, I was staggered by, you know, even that there was just one or two sort of on social media after the game, wanting to, as you say, wanting to talk about the second half and maybe the... The, the lack of ruthlessness. Maybe they'd seen, um, you know, another team, a Premier League team's ruthless streak against a, a similar Yorkshire team um, during the second half, and you know, maybe they wanted eight. Um, Graham, maybe that was that was the possibility, um, <clears throat> but no, four-one. It wasn't to be, and you know what? The goal difference is still healthy. Um, yes, the one that was conceded was uh, annoying, but at the same time, it didn't really matter um, in the grand scheme of things. And I have to say, just the, I quite liked your your explanation there of the um, the, the scenic route, you know, the, the differences between Somerville and and, and Rutter, um, very very eloquent, very well put. And it's a shame that you're going to do all of it a disservice by uh, on Friday by um, mis misnaming or wrongly wrongly referring to uh, Leicester's arguably player of the season, Dewsbury Hall, whose first name is Kiernan. Oh, he's got it. Got it in one. Of course, I, I've got I was, it. I was thinking that I was going to catch you out there with you know you're going to say he's called Kieran, Kieran Dewsbury Hall. Kieran. He's got he's got a he's got a second name for a first name, and he's also got a wedding venue as a second name. So yeah, Dewsbury Hall is in that um, that famous viral video with that that kid is eating. I can't remember what he's eating a sandwich, bacon sandwich or something, and singing a song. Uh, about chuffing love in Yorkshire, you should look it up. It's very, very funny. Is it? He is talks. It plus net? I feel like it's plus net. Uh, oh no! No, I no. don't think so. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I, oh, I know the video. Maybe he doesn't say Dewsbury Hall. Maybe he says Dewsbury Road. Yeah, I think he says Dewsbury Road actually. So we'll edit. We'll edit this out in in post. Um, no, we won't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Karen and Dewsbury Hall. I, and it's funny you should mention him. Joe, it's it's funny you should mention because I have just been looking, having a little look at uh, how he's been doing, and the answer is very well indeed. Uh, so well done, Kiernan Dewsbury Hall. Um, according to the the stats people, who scored and Sofa score, he's the best player in the division with the highest rating. He's performing the best. Number two is Crescencio Somerville, and um, another site has them one and three 
with the pesky Jack Clark nipping in there, cutting inside onto his right foot just to, to nip, a, nip ahead. Um, another former uh, former Leeds player doing very, very well. Nine I, goals. Say, I, well, I was just about to say that. I would say that I think Jack Clark scored three or four penalties this season. So the moral victory, the moral second place should be Somerville on that other well, side. And well. also, Somerville's not played as much, which is the the kind of sting in the tail is that, yes, he's just tucked in behind Dewsbury Hall, but he's also played a significant amount of minutes less than the Leicester man because of little injuries. Well, if you, well, if you were looking at an average rating, which I think I believe is the the um, the stat that you were looking at, then Dewsbury Hall probably comes out better in that one because he's played more and his average rating is still high. Yeah, but... but so you, could have, you could have made a better argument there. Well, no, but what I was going to say was that Somerville, a, a lot, end product determines a lot of these things. Like, let's be honest. People yeah. who score and set up goals get very high ratings on, on these sites. Dewsbury Hall has a little bit more end product than Somerville. I think he has one fewer goal, but two more assists. I think I'm right in saying that. And he's played a lot more minutes. You know, if Somerville plays those minutes and adds, you know, more end product, then I think he'll probably come out on top of that little individual battle. But what will be interesting is how the championships, quote unquote, best two players, you know, which of them has the biggest impact come Friday night. And um, and the hope is, I suppose, for Leeds that the muscle soreness that um, Somerville was was reporting at half time, you know, it wasn't enough to keep him off the pitch. If, if it was in any way serious, Leeds would have they would have kept him in the dressing room. And, and he wouldn't have come out for the second half. You just have to hope that that hadn't developed into anything or hasn't worsened or anything. And um, he was out for his birthday, so... Uh, he was, yeah. yeah. Him, Jorginho and Jed Spence. So mm. that's a nice little trio. I, I wonder why Willie Nyonto wasn't there or simply wasn't pictured. They, yeah, they... maybe maybe he just maybe didn't want to be pictured. Um Maybe he was out doing something else. I don't know. It seems unlikely that if, if Cree Somerville was there, Nyondo would not be far behind because they have often been joined at the hip since uh, since Nyondo arrived. Even um, when even when Nyondo doesn't start, he still finds himself on the pitch celebrating goals with Somerville. I did love yeah. that. For anybody who yeah. was at Elland Road, they'll know what I'm talking about at the, at the weekend where Nyondo just sprints onto the pitch as he's warming up. And you think... Well, you're going to get a yellow card for that. That's that's a very silly thing to do. But also, you're like, oh, you little scamp. You know, what are you like, the pair of you? Yeah, um, I thought he was going to get a no and canna special, um, you know, carded without minutes. But uh, the referee was very lenient, I thought. I'm, I wonder, I'd love to know. I'd love to know if it's firstly in the referee's report and what, and what language has been used to describe the incident. And secondly, how the referee admonished him. Um, was it very much the school teacher telling off a, a young whippersnapper who, you know, he, he's done something a bit silly, but it's, you know, a charming kind of silly. So it's not, it's not uh, malicious. He's not, no yeah. one's got hurt here, Joe. Um, so I would like to know how, how the referee, uh, Mr. Bell, had actually um, addressed <laughs> when he told him off. Um, should we talk about the other wing options at the minute? Because I think there is an interest in, like, I didn't want to hear about it straight after the game because I thought we should all be talking about Ruter and, and Somerville. But I'm willing now, a few days later, to to talk about you know, the, the, the less impressive side of things. Obviously, we've done Dan James a great disservice by not talking about him, because he's flying at the minute. He is, yeah. He's adding all the end product you could want. 
I think we should we should kick this section off is with the question: Who saw Dan James keeping Yonto out of the team and keeping him out of the team this decisively? Yeah, I I, I think it was something we were discussing at the weekend as well, wasn't it? Um, you know, he was again there with another two goals, and I think both of the finishes. Did he have any other shots in the game? Because that would be really telling. Um, I can't. Rem- I certainly can't remember. Um, he did. He did. Okay. He said. Well, he lashed oh, he one did, yeah. high. And- Lashed one high and wide, yeah. He did. That, yeah, that was sort of the Dan James that we've become accustomed to seeing in the Premier League. But in the Championship, or rather, you know, over the past couple of weeks, he's been, and certainly in, in that that um, in that game against Huddersfield, you know, drilling one low from the edge of the box at the end of a run, keeping it low, again, very important, um, not giving the keeper an option. And then under pressure for the second goal that he scored, you know, holding off the challenge and effectively just being able to lift it over the, the on-rushing goalkeeper. Um, that was, again, another example of, of good finishing. And, you know, the, the expression or the phrase that has been used before to describe Dan James, obviously I'm not going to repeat it, but, you know, that certainly didn't ring true um, at, at at Ellen Road at the weekend. And I think, yeah, he's got, is that four goals? I mean, he's, no, he had four assists, didn't he? Three now, goals, four assists in 12 yeah. games. Yeah, again, a great return. And especially... It's an especially great return, given what Daniel Farker has said previously, in that he needs goals from everywhere. He needs goals from everyone. And the fact that we haven't spoken about someone who's contributed directly to seven goals already this season until, you know, the 33rd minute or whatever it is of this episode kind of does speak to just how much strength they do have in depth in those wide areas. And, you know, you factor in that you've got someone like Jaden Anthony to come in, Nonto, who was the breakout star last season, who, again... You know, he's being kept out of the team. And right now, I think you'd be pretty harsh to drop Dan James for, for Nyonto in a, in, a, in a team which is sort of your, your strongest 11 or your most informal 11. So, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted for Dan James because, again, he's another one whose future was pretty uncertain. And now you can't really see him being anywhere other than Leeds in this team because he's doing so well in it. Yeah, um, and I think his pace will be important on Friday night. I think if Leeds are going to break uh, and try and hit Leicester on the counter, um, which would be nice because I still remember that the 4-1 defeat at Allen Road uh, in the COVID season, I believe, when Leicester came and just let Leeds play all this, you know, Leeds Bielsa ball and then hit them on the break. I'm sure it was three or four times to score mm. goals. You know, Vardy was just, it was just classic Vardy, you know, getting played in behind playing off the last shoulder, running in and, and scoring. It would be nice if Leeds could do something similar. Uh, and they have been really dangerous on the counter. And I think James' pace is is a big reason for that. You know, he has difference-making speed in this division. Um, and crucially, the end product now at the end of it. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's, that's the important thing, isn't it? That it's not just pace. Um, because if you wanted just pace, then you could just go and go to Leeds Harriers and sign up their, their fastest lad and get him to play. Um, and yeah, the you, you can't really argue with James' position in the team at all. There's no real facet of his play that that you'd say, well, Nyonto's going to do that better. James works his backside off and has always been known for that. Um, and he defends, you know, he, he tracks back and he helps protect his fullback. Nyonto less known for his effectiveness in kind of protecting his fullback, I would say. Um, and yeah, Nyonto has worked hard uh, and 
and and he has worked hard when he's come on, but he just hasn't been anywhere near as effective uh, as James has been. Uh, and in a foot race, I think James probably wins. And so right now, there's just there's no real argument. I think what Somerville, Ritter and James have done is really ask a question of William Yanto and Jaden Anthony. What can you do to to get into our spots? And we've not really seen them do that. And I think Anthony, yes, it has mostly been cameos, but then when he's been given his chance, he hasn't really taken it. You know, I thought he was he was incredibly poor against Stoke. I don't know what it was, but a player who's clearly technically very able just could not keep hold of the ball. You know, he kept overrunning it or giving it away. Um, and if you are in a team where someone else in your position is flying and is banging in goals and adding assists, then when you get a chance like that, you really have to do something, you know. And even if it's not scoring yourself, you've got to create and you've got to keep the ball and play well. You've got to do the basics well. And I just feel like he he really dropped the ball on, on that occasion. Nyonto similarly made very little impact against Stoke. And yeah, they were playing in a, in a change team. Gruev was in the midfield. It wasn't the same team exactly that had been tearing teams up. But this is your opportunity, you know, to show Farker that actually, yeah, you have got real strength and depth and you should be thinking about me for a starting position. And um, and they didn't do it at all. Um, well, I mean, just to, to bring it back to, to a more positive point, whilst you were, were going on about how you, you're just so, so disappointed by Jaden Anthony and winning the <laughs> um, You know, the pl- players who are playing in a team third in the league, Graham, let's, let's remember that. Um, I did have a look up to see who had scored the most goals on the counter-attack in the championship this season. And there are no fewer than nine teams who haven't scored a single goal on the counter. There are two teams who've scored four goals on the counter, two teams who've scored three, uh, and a handful of others who've got two and and then one. But ahead, ahead of everybody, and six is Leeds. So yeah. it goes to show that you are you are right in saying that Dan James's pace, um, Somerville's directness, Rutez's ability in chance creation has all contributed enormously to Leeds being, at least at this stage of the season, the most potent counter-attacking team in, in the Championship. Um, and, you know, since you were so keen to talk about the negatives, I do think we do need to discuss the, the penalty situation um, from, from that Stoke game. I'm sure everybody is, has, has, had their, has had their say, you know, whether it's with whoever they sit next to at the match on uh, at the weekend, after you know, obviously days after the uh, the Bamford penalty miss, you know who should be taking the penalties? Why did Bamford step up to take it? Um, Daniel Farkas had his say, saying that he prefers not to have substitutes um, taking spot kicks because they're not up to the rhythm of the game. Um, but ultimately, Bamford did take it. He skied it, and you know it again. It was just another indication that you you feel really bad for the guy because. The last time that he had a, a meaningful impact, positive or negative, in this Leeds team was a missed penalty against Newcastle um, towards the end of last season. So, I mean, what was? I know we've discussed it, but not certainly not on the podcast. What, what was your reading of the, the whole situation around that, and what, what well, look, could actually come of it? Look, we all missed penalties last week. Um, I know I did, uh, and mine, but mine did hit the target at least it's just it was, it's just a lovely height for the keeper to save it was it was a really poor penalty um i was only allowed to take one step though which is the the rule in our in our uh, football on monday night um bamford should have been nowhere near it 
uh, I understand why he's gone and got the ball. I felt last season when um, they played Arsenal and Bamford took a penalty, I felt it was brave because from memory, I don't think he was in what you call a great moment. Well, it just he hasn't been in a great moment for for quite a, quite a while now at Leeds because of injuries and, and one thing or another. He took that penalty at home against Arsenal and um, he, he missed the first one, didn't he? But there was encroachment. Now, mm-hmm. Arsenal, Arsenal, I remember raging about the cynicism of the Arsenal players and how it was just so childish that they were deliberately delaying and delaying and trying to put pressure on and trying to get in his face. And Tyler Adams had to come in and shove a player away and all that. Just, just nonsense, you know, cynical nonsense. But there was a moment, unless I'm remembering this incorrectly, where Click might well have said, you know, are you, are you taking it again? Are you still fancying it or whatever? Um, Bamford took the retake and didn't score. Um, and on, on that occasion, it felt, it felt like a brave, a bravery thing to step up and take it, you know, put yourself forward, take the responsibility. Against Stoke, for me, it was a, an error of judgment. And I can see why he'd want to take it. He needs a goal to get going. He, as Farka said, he wants to prove his daughter's wrong. Um, he's a striker. Strikers want to take penalties. So those are his reasons. But whilst it might have been the best thing for Patrick Bamford to take and subsequently score that penalty, it wasn't the best thing for Leeds United that he took it because it was a big risk. Um, he's not a player in form. He's a player that whilst he is incredibly mentally strong, I think, for some of the stuff that's been thrown at him uh, and the way he's bounced back um, from previous disappointments and, and and previous criticism and whatnot on, on several occasions, I don't think he would be in, the, in a strong enough frame of mind in that situation that you'd be able to really back him and say, yeah, he's going to hit the net. Mm-hmm. Uh, Somerville, to me, looked like he wanted it. You know, he was making moves towards the ball, towards the situation. Pascal Stroik, it's the perfect storm. You've got a senior player, very, very senior player in Patrick Bamford, influential player in the dressing room, taking the ball. You've got a 23-year-old captain who's been captain now a handful of times, who's an introvert. He's not one of the big voices. He's a player who sets examples by what he does rather than barking orders and telling everybody what's what. And I don't think, I probably don't think that Pascal felt he could say to Pat Bamford, no, give the ball to Cree, Cree's having it, um, without, you know, creating a scene or... And and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a difficult situation, I think, for Stroik to to deal with. Um, I would maybe have liked Somerville to be a bit more of a... Um, a bit more brutal. A bit more of a bull in a china shop and just go and just, you know, take the ball off him or say, no, Pat, I've got, I've got this um, and force the issue. But in any case... You know, Fark has explained there were other players that, that he would have chosen. Piero should have taken it, but he was off the field. And Leeds have found themselves in this position where they've all kind of let it happen. You know, there's kind of culpability on on quite a few hands that, that have let the situation develop as it is. Bamford did win the penalty, you have to say, and he won it really well. Great run, and, and, and he's won a penalty fair and square. But... He shouldn't have taken it, and the end result was, you know, what we all feared it would be when he stepped up. Um, and, and you might think, well, you know, you shouldn't still be banging on about it a, a week on. But I shared a taxi 
to Elland Road with some Leeds fans on Saturday from the train station. And the very first thing... Man of the people. They, <laughs> <laughs> literally the only reason why I said that. Um, they, they, the very first thing that was discussed was, well, uh, do you think Patrick will be taking any penalties today? You know, what, what a mess that was. It was still being spoken about, you know, before the Huddersfield game. Um, I, I don't think the situation will arise again, though, because I think Bamford needed saving from himself in that situation. And I think Farker will ensure that he's not in that, he's not put in that scenario again. Um, and I think all you can hope for, really, is that Bamford gets a goal, uh, ideally an important goal, a big goal soon, one that matters. And he can start to just put it all behind him and put last season behind him. And it does feel like this is all said without speaking to Bamford and without knowing his mind. But it feels to me, and you watch his body language from time to time, it just feels to me like there's still a bit hanging over him. He probably does want to go out and you know stick two fingers up to the people that were abusive on social media and and took things way too far with some deplorable messages. Um, he probably wants nothing more than to go out and to to prove them wrong and to to stick the fingers up. But it feels like he's in need of really moving on. Like, like him, the crowd, Leeds are in need of moving on from two difficult years. And whether that's through goals or whether it's through, at the end of the season, a parting of company, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I think it needs to happen for the player and for for everyone. You know, everyone needs to put the difficulties of the last two years behind them. Um, and the best way, of course, for that to happen is for Bamford to to start sticking the ball in the net. But it's it's hard to argue that he should be in the team from the start, you know, to be able to do that. Because Ruter, if Ruter is going to be the nine, then Ruter has to play right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think most Leeds fans would agree with that. I don't think you'd have many people saying that, that Bamford should be in ahead of Ruter. Um, or anyone in that sort of front four, not that he'd be able to play the other roles. Um, but, yeah, it, it's one where, over the course of the season, Bamford will score goals. You know, coming off the bench, starting games, it doesn't matter. He will score. At this level, as Farker has said, he has the, the pedigree. He's done it at a higher level. It will come. It's just a case of you really want it to happen sooner rather than later. Um, and it'd be great to see it happen this weekend. Um, if he was coming off the bench and... You know, he, he does have a knack of scoring those late goals, you know, off, I was going to say an elbow or something, but not an elbow. Um, oh, actually, maybe an elbow. Uh, be fine, no VAR. No Absolutely VAR, fine. yeah. We are fine with elbows. Um, uh, do you remember, yeah, the goal he scored, remember the goal he scored for Bielsa at Leicester, where yes. Stroik jumped up into the play, made a pass, and it might have been Rafinha who played the ball first time to Bamford. And he just, the ball was kind of... I remember the ball spinning as he hit it, and he just uncorked this strike Great into strike. the far top corner. Just for me, probably his best goal uh, as yeah, a Leeds player. I, I think I remember saying something like "square it to Harrison" because Harrison had made a great run. Harrison was breaking his neck to get up there. Yeah, yeah, and he obviously was free center of the goal. But then as soon as it left his his boot, you were like, "Oh wait, that's that's going right for the top corner." Yeah, um, and, it, and yeah, the way the ball moved and everything, it was it was superb. Um, so yeah. there is that. There is that. And you know what? If it came this weekend, it would be fantastic. Um, because Shall we talk about um, Pierrot? 
because we, we can if you like but would well, you like well, to take on hosting duties as well just a quite brutal intervention there just trying to move you on um i mean everyone's almost a bit nervous to bring it up because you know it's it's um it's not the topic uh for farca right now or or ever again um i fear it will be though N not so much the should he play at nine or should he play at ten debate because i think ruter is doing so much in that position that we can see why it's happening but there have been i think there have now been too many games where piero hasn't had enough of an impact I think you could say that some of his movement um, and the runs he made that took defenders away helped in the first half against Huddersfield. I think some of his link-up play was good. He used the ball well. But there are large stretches of games where you think, you know, what what was the last big thing that Piero did? You know, where's Piero when it comes to these chances and, and goals? And um, yeah, he's got a few already this season, which is great. And it's very early days. You know, he did, a, he did an interview with the, the Match Day program where he said, you know, they're they're working on it with him and Ruter, you know, and it's still very early. Uh, and he's right, it is very early. But I feel like Leeds, I asked Farco about this, you know, do Leeds need to be doing more to get him into the game? And Farco, you know, he wasn't too concerned. He said there will be games when it's not, it's not quite the game for him to make the biggest impact. What do you which think? I, which I think is fine. I think it's fine when others are taking the mantle on themselves. I'd be more concerned when it's a game like Stoke, when nobody is, and you're kind of looking to your centre forward or your, your number ten or sort of that nine and a half hybrid type player to get it a, a half chance and convert it. Yeah, and and it's not as if I mean he's missed chances that I think if Bamford had missed, it would be. You know, same old Bamford and all the, and it would be, it would flare up again and there'd be all the, you know, the criticism and, and others, some, some people would take it too far. But Piero's missed a few when Rutter's played him in where you'd really have backed him to score, you know, big, really good chances. He's not been flawless. Um, and, you know, he's the, he's the 20 goal man, isn't he? He's the one that, that is going to need to score 20 goals. Um, and I, I just I don't I don't know I, I I don't want to say that I'm feeling underwhelmed because he has scored what four five four is five. it four he's got five. five he scored five goals already and there have been times when you've thought he's been really good but there's been other times when you thought he's just not it's just not there you know it a little bit anonymous I felt against Huddersfield at times um, and in the end it didn't matter because they won four one but against Leicester he, you're not going to be able to say. You know, well, I don't think you're going to be able to say Piero was anonymous today, but it didn't matter. I think it will matter against Leicester. You wouldn't think that this team's on a great run of form listening to you this week, would you, Graham? Listen, Joe, you're only as good as your last 45 minutes. <laughs> nearly said game. Nearly said game, and I thought, and then you say, well, they won that game 4 1. Um, I'm just thinking uh, okay, speaking of which, speaking of which, of your last 45 minutes, then you were talking about who scored and those sorts of ratings before. What would you give yourself for your Monday night performance out of, last, out of 10? Last, last night, probably a three, a four. A three? I was, I was very bad. I got in some good positions uh, and then, you know, to play one twos and my return ball on a number of occasions was sadly lacking. 
and uh, missed a good chance as well. Um, See, my, my performance uh, on Monday evening, I'd just like to stress that myself and Graham, we don't play on the same team, but both do play on a Monday night. Um, my performance individually was better, um, and I do have a lot of sympathy for Dan James because I um, there were a few occasions where I was able to travel with the ball, but got to the final third and ran into trouble. Um, didn't, really have, <laughs> didn't really have anything to, to show for it. Um, individual performance was certainly better than the week before, but again, just not not quite there. Um, and while we've been recording this, I'd just like to give a shout out to uh, the Holbeck Hustler, uh, because that uh, that person on that account has tagged the pair of us and said, I need your voices. When's the next app? So I've replied with a picture <laughs> of uh, my microphone here. Uh, so if anybody watching on Shots TV, uh, where you can watch this podcast now, um, saw me sort of get my, uh, my my phone camera up ever so slightly about 10 minutes ago. Um, that was what I was doing. I wasn't just... I need your voices is a bit much. That's a li- For me, that's that's like a character in a Luther series that wants wants people's voice boxes and collects them, like something really macabre. So if only um... you would come up with that. How, <laughs> how is that? How is that the first place your brain goes? <laughs> I'm, a child like... trouble, I'm a child of the trouble, I'm a child of the trouble. Voice box killer. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> voice away. box killer. There's your episode title. Um, yeah, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, I, I, I know you're going to say I'm, I'm terribly negative, but Leicester are coming up and everything, you need to raise your performance levels significantly, even from that first half against Huddersfield, because Huddersfield did get a couple of sniffs. Um, that need, that needs to be the benchmark, doesn't it? Yeah, Rodon, you know, flew in with that great defensive challenge. Otherwise, I think, uh, Boyo probably scores. Um, Bergzog. <laughs> Bergzog. Um, I think he probably sticks it in, in the net, doesn't he? Or at least, you know, troubles Melly a little bit, tests him. So, yeah, it wasn't, as Farka said, it was close to perfect that first half, but it wasn't, you know, entirely perfect. But even that, you know, might not be enough against Leicester. You're going to have to, they're going to have to raise it significantly and they can't play anything like they played against Stoke which was only a week ago so in the space of a week we've seen something really poor from Leeds and something really good um, and I think they're going to have to be even better the, on, on Friday night so I'm just I just want to make sure everyone does their bit Joe you know that nobody thinks oh well we beat Huddersfield 4-1 so we can go out and steamroll Leicester if they go out and steamroll Leicester Joe I will be the first to be all balloons and dolphins on on social media and on the podcast. Okay, well that's that's a nice promise that we have there, um, and I'll be looking forward to to that recording. Um, but yeah, before we finish, obviously today is the thirty first of October. We're, we're recording on Halloween. I believe last year on the pod we came up with a few creative suggestions of who would suit what as a as a Halloween um, costume. Um, what is your worst and best dress up that you've ever you've ever done? And keep it PG. Uh, what is my... You know, I'm not a big Halloween person. I'm already on the countdown to Christmas, so Halloween for me is a bit of a distraction. Um, and honestly, I'd be quite happy if we just did away with it. Um, I'm not into gore. Uh, I'm, I like I like grim television and television that you know keeps you on the edge of your seat. I don't like anything gratuitous. So for me, a lot of Halloween costumes, they go a bit too far. Uh, I did one year have a a mask of um, Chewbacca that was good. Um, 
And what else have I dressed up as? I'm really struggling to, I'm really struggling to think. I I've never really made a big effort for Halloween. Even as a child, I don't think I was particularly into it. Um, so, uh, so it's nothing, just not nothing, to, nothing to smile about in my life. It's just, it's not, it's not my topic, uh, Joe. This is, oh. this is not, this is not my topic. Um, Honestly, the one time that Daniel Farker does accidentally stumble across the Inside Allen Road podcast, and he hears you, you know, taking the Mickey out of his Farkisms. No, taking inspiration, be... taking inspiration from his Farkisms. Um, but what I will do is I'll throw you throw a suggestion your way that if I was Dan James, I would go as a speedboat with no driver this year to no. Halloween. No, I no, because go... everyone would. Yeah, okay, that's good. It is good because it does. Okay. You know, go on. Take the Mickey out of everybody, but I believe he's called Dash. Did, did the team? Did the players not call him Dash? Yeah, I think I think some that might have been a nickname. Yeah, so he should dress up as Dash from The Incredibles. You know, the uh, the young lad who is incredibly yeah. fast. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, that's absolutely and fine. Daniel, and Daniel Farker can go as the Fark Knight. You know, Batman. And Ruter can go as a quilt. A quilt. Do you remember that um that outfit he wore last season when he was pictured in yes. like a furniture shop or something? He looked like he'd stripped some of the material off of some furniture and, and turned it into clothing. Hey, and he's into his fashion. And so is Crescencio Somerville, who celebrated his birthday by going in a high vis vest. Um <laughs> if anyone's seen the pictures of that. Um very Dutch, wasn't it? Bright orange. The uh, the t-shirt. Maybe, it's, maybe it's a signal to the the Dutch manager. Who's the, who's the Dutch boss at the moment? I know he sounded Dutch then. The, who's who's the Dutch boss at the moment? It sounded like Steve um, McLaren. Um, uh, is it Ronald Koeman again? I was going to say, is it Ronald Koeman? This is this is again one of the classic points where every it is Ronald Koeman. Okay, there you go. so maybe it's a a hint towards him that he, he wants to be called up to the senior squad now that he's no longer eligible for the twenty ones. So. Who knows? He's definitely going the right way about it. He is, but he probably needs to be in the Premier League, doesn't he? He, he does, but so, you know, I'd, I'd appreciate that um, you'll probably be touting him for a move to the Premier League with your negativity before we, uh, <laughs> before we finish. So absolutely, it's probably... yeah, absolutely the opposite. I would say if I if I could advise Cree Somerville, it would be stay at Leeds because the moves that you might be able to get in January are likely to those clubs that need a spark and they're not you know they're not going to be mid-table comfort or above they're going to be below mid-table comfort so you might find yourself trading places with Leeds in the summer and in any case you tear up the championship the way you're doing you're going to be in the Premier League next season with Leeds or without Leeds you know it's a it's a Calvin Phillips situation you know when he in 2019 when he was being courted so um, romantically by Dean Smith now, there's an image for you. Um, and uh, it's that kind of scenario. You either go in January, don't be a part of a potential promotion, and you might not get the best move or a really good, really good move. Uh, or you, you stay, you be a promotion hero, you get, get one on your CV, you go up with Leeds, or you come close to it, and then you go in the summer to a Premier League team, to a good Premier League team. That would be my advice. Thank you for your advice. Um, this has been the Inside Ellen Road podcast with myself, Joe Donoghue, and UIP Chief Football Writer, Graham Smith. 
and we'll be back shortly with another episode um bye for now The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate in Leeds. PR Supplies, everything for the home.